So I want to start with, for many people, the Christmas season is a time to look forward to in all its festivities, time to gather with family and the nostalgia that comes with it. I look back and I think about some of my favorite times during Christmas, and many of them were spent at my grandparents' house, and even after they passed, playing with cousins, eating tamales, that's what we call, uh, that's, sometimes that was the only time, the only thing we could open for Christmas. I'm just kidding, that's, that's a joke. <laughs> We like tamales. And listening to my dad read about the birth of Christ, it just felt right. It felt safe. And I never wanted it to end. As I grew older, got married, and had kids of my own, it did end. And now, though I long for those days, I can look back on times in the last few years, and I see the same thing for my kids. And I'm sure as they grow older, the cycle will repeat. There will be a longing for what used to be. The longing we will speak of for the next few weeks is at the heart of the Christmas season. Though for many it is a time to look forward to, for others it is painful too. Heart-wrenching and a constant reminder of what used to be. There is a longing in that pain too, a longing that things need to be made right, that things are not the way they should be. An emptiness that is a promise fulfilled in the one who came to satisfy the longing heart. As Morgan explained it last week, Morgan is our children's ministry director. She, uh, she, as we were giving away these Advent, uh, these uh, Advent devotionals for families, she said, "Advent means arrival." Okay, so if you don't get anything else today, remember that Advent means arrival of Christ. It is the time to stop and reflect about the revival, uh, the arrival of the one who was foretold, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. So we will take the next four weeks, uh, counting this week, to look at a few different people in the Old Testament who are shadows of Christ. In their lives, in their testimony, they gave us a picture of the anointed one who would come and take away the sin of the world. And in all honesty, just like, you know, we do things here at Redeemer, Advent actually started last Sunday, but we start on Redeemer time, okay? So we're starting this Sunday, okay? So we'll light a, we'll light a candle each Sunday representing an aspect of the long that we have in our heart for hope, for peace, for love, and then the Sunday after Christmas we will light the joy candle, okay? We will take time to reflect and look forward to the day that Christ will come in His second advent to collect His church and to judge the world. That's what we look forward to. So as we look at each character, character over the next few weeks, each one will make it more and more clear of who Christ is and what He is coming to accomplish. So the easy thing for me to do is to, to the easy, easy thing for anyone who is approaching these characters in the Old Testament is to ask, where do I see myself in this story? But the biblical question is, where do I see Jesus in this story? For, for you to try to find yourself in, in the biblical narrative is a misuse of God's Word. Are you in there somewhere? Are we in there somewhere? Maybe. If the text speaks of the church, yes. But for it to be about you, if one of these stories was about you, it would be crushing. You could not bear, under, bear up under the weight of any of these characters. This is why it's good that God made it about Jesus. The Bible is telling one story about one person. So let's start to see him in it now. 
So I want to pull on this thread a little bit of, of this story that the Bible's telling, just to give us some context for this series as we spend some time uh, in the Old Testament looking at a few characters. To put it plainly, okay, to put it plainly, from Genesis to Revelation, from the very beginning of the Bible to the very last book that has not taken place yet, the Bible is one grand narrative, one story being told, and the main point is God rescues sinners in the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, we need the Old Testament to help explain the New Testament, and we need the New Testament to help make the Old Testament clear. Okay? There's so many, there, there are churches out there that just preach through the New Testament constantly, and they forget to go back to the Old Testament. And we forget that we need the Old Testament to hinge us. To, we need the foundation of the Old Testament. Sally, Sally Lloyd-Jones has a paraphrased children's storybook Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is it right here. If you, if you want to see it after the service, you can take a picture of it. It says, every story whispers his name, okay? Uh, you, and this is a good resource for parents with young kids and also for grandparents. You can get one of these and read these stories to your kids, okay? I want to read the intro to you, and I'm going to try to make it through the intro without crying because it's, it's really good. Sally Lloyd-Jones says this, she says, God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he is like, to help us know him, to make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail, the way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims. And God put it into words, too, and he wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and what you shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you what, and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you some people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones that he loves. It's like, it's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day, but wait, our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning.
You want to keep reading? Okay. We'll have a children's reading later, and y'all can, you can join us for that. <laughs> turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. I want to turn to, uh, to a text, a specific text in Scripture. Luke 24, it'll be up on the, on the screen for you as well. Uh, this might be a familiar story to you. It's, it's uh, the, the road to Emmaus, if you haven't heard that story. Uh, so what happens in Luke 24, um, Jesus, after the, the resurrected Jesus comes and he's spending time on earth with his disciples, God somehow mysteriously hides his identity from these two disciples that are walking. Let's read just a little bit of the story. It says, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other all about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So if you remember back to our Job series, when you think about when Jesus or when God himself asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know, it's because he's drawing them out with rhetorical questioning. Okay, so these two, these two disciples are walking along the road, making their way to Emmaus, and Jesus comes alongside them, and they're like pretty dejected and pretty sad, and you know, did, did you hear about what happened, you know? And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? You know, I don't, and he's, they're like, what do you mean, what are you talking about? And then they take time in, in verses 17 through 24, after Jesus draws them out with a question, they take time and they, they take him through the narrative of what happened. This, this innocent man, Jesus, was, uh, they, they, they took him before Pilate and the, the people cried out, crucify him. And, and then they, they took him and they, they lashed him and they beat him with the cat of nine tails until he was almost dead. And then they took him up and they nailed him on this cross and let him hang up there, hang up on, on this Roman cross until he actually died. He physically died on this cross. They brought him down and they buried him in a borrowed tomb. They kind of tell him this. And there's a lot of urgency that takes place here. Now look at starting in verse 25, chapter 24 of Luke, verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now skip over to verse 32. Verse 32 says, they said to each other, this is after just Jesus disappears from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? This is the longing that we're speaking of. These disciples look at each other after Jesus disappears from their sight. They say, was there not this, this burning within us as he was explaining to, to us who he was? And remember, in this day, they didn't have the New Testament yet, like we have it available to us here. They didn't have it in print like this. What they had was the first five books of Moses, okay, was the Torah. They had the, five book, the first five books of Moses, and then they had the prophets. 
That's who they would read over and over in the temple. And Jesus, beginning with the five books of Moses and going into the prophets, he explains to them, this is who they were all pointing to, me, Jesus says. They were pointing to me. All of them were. And then he disappears from their sight, and, he, and they said, Where, was our heart not burning within us? Did we not have this longing inside of us to know this Christ? This is a massive moment, not only for these two disciples, but this is a massive moment for the church. Church, look at me for just a moment. If you are in Christ, if you've made a confession of faith, and you believe that you are a Christian, and you, you are a part of, of, of the church, this is a massive moment for the church. Why? Because our God is not dead. You can go to Buddha's place where he's buried and find him there. You can go to any other world religion that they claim was their God, and you can go and find the tomb filled. But you go to the place where the Christ was buried, and we find that it is empty. That, if anything, let that give you hope. Let that give you hope that because Christ defeated death, He defeats it in our place. You see how Advent gives us hope? You see how this season gives us hope? Christ came and fulfilled all that Moses and the prophets were speaking of. He says, I came, I arrived, and I fulfilled it. So we need to look, just like Sally Lloyd-Jones says in the Jesus Storybook Bible, we need to begin at the beginning. So if you would turn all the way to Genesis chapter 1, we want to we look at this narrative of, G of Genesis. This is an origin account, okay? So if you're here and you're curious where you come from, this is where you come from. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You speak to an atheist who, is, who believes in evolution, they say, well, the world started when there was this big bang. Well, how do you know there's, there's this big bang? Well, I mean, you know, carbon dating and all. Well, how do you know carbon dating's right? Well, I guess you just got to believe that it's true. So you got to have faith, don't you? How do we have faith? Because we have it in print. Do we not? Okay, and that's not to be uh, arrogant about and, and boastful about, but we can say to the atheist, look, I have it in print. I have it right here. I have the origin account in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the book, this book that I've been reading called The Drama of Scripture, Craig Bartholomew and Michael Goheen say that Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is like being invited to a famous artist's art gallery and the artist being there to give you a step-by-step -step of how he painted this masterpiece. For those of you who like music, how would you like to sit in on a studio, uh, a studio session with one of your favorite bands? And, and they tell you, you have this one-on-one -on -one conversation with that artist, and they say, this is what I was thinking when I wrote this song, and this is what I was thinking when I, when I put these lyrics together. You would like that, wouldn't you? Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is like the artist sitting down with us and saying, look, this is how I put all things together. That's what the, this, this is telling us here. This is the book of origins. One of the begging questions of all humanity, I said this earlier, one of the questions that every person on this planet, every person on this planet, past, present, and future, has to answer is, where do I come from? 
where do I come from? Where, where, where did all of this start? I look around and I see creation. There has to be something behind this, does there not? There has to be something behind this. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. This is when God creates man. Then God said, let us, us being plural, this is Trinitarian language, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the flesh of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now listen to this poetry in verse 27. So God created man in, its own Im in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Go back to verse 27. I want you to see how many times the author of Genesis uses created here. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So when you see repetition like this in the Bible, remember, we're trying to become better students of Scripture. When you see a word repeated in just one verse like this, it's like it's, it's waving a flag saying, hey, you got to pay attention to this. So this word in Hebrew here is this word called barach, okay? I don't know if I'm saying it right. I don't, I don't think anybody else does either, so no one's going to test me on it, okay? So it's this word, word called barach, okay? And there's this, there's this deep sense to this word that when God created man, he created the very pinnacle of his creation. This is the jewel of his creation. When God created you, listen, when God created you in your mother's womb, he put you together intricately. He put you together on purpose. God barach you in your mother's womb. This is why we are a church who stands for life. This is why we reject abortion. Because we believe that we are intrinsically made with value. That God gave us his image. We are his representatives on earth as humanity. Are you following me? Okay, look at Genesis chapter 2. As God continues to create, he creates man, he creates woman, and then he gives them boundaries. Look at Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. It says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you, the, for in that, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God gives boundaries to humanity here. He gives boundaries to man and woman. He says you can have whatever you want in this garden. You can eat from any tree you want. Do not eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there, there's something to stop and observe. God weaves obedience into creation as only he can. And this may raise some questions, but 
and, and, and we're going we're gonna to tackle those questions. As the longer you come to Redeemer, some of these questions that, are, that might be popping into your head as you look at the creation account and how, how man is accountable to God and these things, we're going to answer those things. But what is to be observed is that when God speaks, we listen. That's the main point of Genesis chapter 2, is when God says no, He means no. When God says yes, He means yes. That's why here at Redeemer we want to take God's Word so seriously, is because we believe that God is still speaking in His Word. Then Genesis chapter 3 comes along. And we see what happens when mankind gives into temptation to be their own God. Woman succumbs to the temptation of the serpent. She gives to her husband the fruit as well. And in that day, just as God promised, they die. And they don't die a natural death. They die a spiritual death. That's what takes place here. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, as God pronounces this curse on creation, starting in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you tempted Eve and, and, and Adam, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you should go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your, your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. This is when God pronounces the curse on humanity. This is when everything begins, begins to be fractured here. Everything is broken. God created a good world, and we come along in Adam, and we break things because we disobey what God says. Verse 15, if you don't have verse 15 underlined, circled, highlighted, do that. Verse 15 has to stick out to us. This is the first gospel preached by God Himself. You know who preached the first gospel, the good news? God. God says there is someone who is coming. The seed of the woman is coming. He will arrive one day in the flesh and defeat the dragon, defeat the great tempter. He will crush his head under his heel. This is really good news. Do you see how the gospel is in Genesis just like it's in Ephesians or in Philippians or in Romans? The gospel is in every book that we read because the Bible is continually telling one story about one person, the person of Jesus Christ. I want to end our time in the book of Romans. If you would turn to the New Testament, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 will be in verses 12 through 21.
I, just, I said just a few moments ago that God made a good world. He deemed the world good. Where do we get, let me just ask this question. You don't have to answer out loud. Where do we get our definition of good? From God. We can't get it anywhere else. He is the one who defines what is good. And anything opposite of God is what? Bad. It's evil. Okay? So we have to say, we have to start with God being good and anything he deems good is good because he is perfect and holy in every way. So in Genesis chapter 3, all of this is fractured, it's broken, it needs redeeming because of the disobedience of man. Adam, I'm going to use a big theological word here, so don't lose me, okay? Adam is our federal head, okay? All that means is, and, and, and theology, and remember, I want to make you better students of theology too, the federal head is that he is our representative, okay? So what do you do when you, get, when you get upset with one of your state representatives? What do you do? Because they're not doing their job. You write them a letter uh, or you, you get on the phone and you, you talk to them, right? Adam is our representative for all of mankind. Adam and Eve. We have man and woman in the garden who disobey. They are our federal head. They are our representatives. Are Adam and Eve to blame? Absolutely yes. Does that make us blameless? You don't get off the hook. You do not get off the hook here. Because we are dead in Adam, our nature is to sin. This is why, listen to this, this is why we need a new nature. We have to be given a new birth from above. We have to be given a new heart that the book of Jeremiah and the book of Ezekiel and the Old Testament speaks of. Our, our hearts of stone that we are born with, dead in Adam, need to be removed and replaced with a heart of flesh that loves Christ and wants to live for Him. Listen to this. If you were put in the same situation, situation as Adam and Eve, you would still succumb to the temptation, just like Adam and Eve did. I've heard people say, I've heard people say, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to kick Adam right in his pants because I'm like, what are you thinking, you know? You got to look at yourself too. Because we are dead in Adam. He is our representative. We all got together and we voted Adam would be the best guy. And guess what? Adam fails. And you're like, whoa, Ricky, this is, you're getting, you're getting a little out of bounds here. Okay? But let's look at our text. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12. It says, therefore, and remember, when we see a therefore, we have to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore, okay? So we, we have to go back and read the first part of Romans. I'm going to let you do that at home, but you got to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, there's, he's speaking of Adam here, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. You see that word type? That word type is shadow of Emmanuel, the one who is to come. 
Let's keep reading. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Here's here's our linchpin verse, verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. You see how Paul in in, in Romans here, how he gives us this contrast between we are dead in Adam, he was our federal head, he was our representative. And we are dead in him when we are born. We are dead in sin and trespasses. We come into this world. For some, of the, for some of you who have been around newborn babies, newborn babies are the most selfish human beings on the, on the planet, are they not? I got mamas saying, amen, hallelujah, glory to God. Because they come in saying what? I'm hungry, I'm dirty, I'm cold. I peed myself, whatever it is. That's what newborn babies, that's what you came into this world doing. You only wanted to be satisfied, right? We are selfish by nature. We are sinners by nature in Adam. And because we all got together and took a vote and we said Adam would be the best guy guy to represent us, we say, well, Ricky, that's taking it a step too far. But when we get to the second Adam, when we get to the true and better Adam who is Christ, then we want what he offers us, do we not? Because when God saves us, when we become Christians, and now we are in Christ, now we are in Christ, we do not get what Christ offers us. We do not get what Christ gives us by being good people. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins. We cannot even make ourselves come to life without Christ coming to regenerate our hearts, to give us new hearts. He has to do that work first. And now when we are in Christ, we look and we say, He is the true and better Adam. The one in the book of Genesis who failed, Christ came, He arrived, and He succeeded. He was tempted in every way. We have stories of him being tempted in the New Testament, and he never gave in. He always replied with what? Thus saith the Lord. So where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. Adam, from the very beginning in Genesis, was pointing us forward. He was a shadow of the one who was to come. Adam was not the substance. Christ is the substance who comes to take away the sin of the world. Do you see how Advent offers us hope? It offers us hope in the person Jesus Christ. Listen to me. This might be your first time here, and I want to to be frank with you. My name is Ricky, but I want to be frank with you, okay? Here's, here's, here's the truth, that all of us, when we die, 
It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 80 years from now. We will have to stand before a holy and righteous God. We will have to stand before Him. And we will have to give an account for our lives. And if you stand before this holy and righteous God and you say, well, you know, I, I went to church a couple of times and uh, I, I dusted off my Bible here and there and I, oh, oh, I walked this old lady across the street, she couldn't make it, so I walked her across the street. Do you remember that one? It's not going to be enough. But when we stand before a holy and righteous God who demands answers, and our answer is Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ alone, and I rest in Him. I am in Him and He is in me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. Because you are in Christ, I see you perfect as I see my son. Come and rest forever. So I do this every Sunday. I want to invite you into this. Band, you can go ahead and make your way up. I want to invite you into this. We're not going to do any kind of trickeration or anything like that and say, you know, raise your hand if, or, or anything like that. I'm going to be in the back of the room. If you would like to pray, if you have questions about what the gospel is, if you need counsel, whatever it is, I'd love, love to do that. I'll be right in the back of the room and I'd love to do that with you. If you have any questions or need prayer or whatever it is, I'll be in the back of the room. But I want to invite you into this. Where is your hope this Advent season? Where is your hope this Advent season? You turn on the news and guess what? It says there's a shortage of toys, there's a shortage of this, there's a sh you can't order anything, you can't, you, you better order now. Because they are constantly trying to, to, to put our hope and disciple us in things that will one day perish. So my question is, where is your hope this Advent season? Is it in shadows or is it, is it in what will truly satisfy your heart? And the truth of the, go the, the gospel is this, that if you are not in Christ, you are not a Christian, then you have no hope. There is no hope because you will stand before a holy, almighty, infinite God and ha have to give an answer for your life. And if you're not found in Him, you will suffer the consequences and pay under the wrath of God for eternity. But if you are in Christ, your hope is secure and the sure and steady anchor who is Christ and Christ alone. Isn't that a reason to worship church? Isn't it a reason to raise our hands and say, thank you, God, for setting me free. Thank you for solidifying my hope and for making me one of your children. Let's pray.